0: Okay, let's talk sex for a minute. For a guy to have an erection, what does that mean? Increased blood flow of the penis. Okay, simply increased blood flow. How do you get that? Nitric oxide is the hormone that's released by your blood vessel that causes vasodilation. What's the biggest factor that affects nitric oxide production? Insulin sensitivity.
1: Welcome to Wellness, your ultimate guide to unlocking your full human potential through biohacking. I'm your host, Ashley Daly. I'm a former personal trainer, Pilates instructor, and nutrition expert with a degree in kinesiology. I'm here to guide and support you in elevating the quality of your life. Can I ask you a favor? When you leave a review for me, it helps listeners like yourself find and access this information faster. So if you have five minutes, I would love if you could log on to Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to this podcast and leave me a review. Today's guest is Dr. Tracy Gappin, a board-certified urologist, world-renowned men's health and performance expert, and he's the founder of the Gappin Institute, the global leader in high-performance health. He has over 20 years of experience focused on men's health optimization, human performance and longevity, providing executives and entrepreneurs a personalized path to fulfill their highest potential. He's been featured in Entrepreneur, Dave Asprey's Biohacking Conference, and a TED Talk speaker. Dr. Gappin is the best-selling author of Male 2.0 and Codes of Longevity. He's a member of the American Academy of Anti-Aging, Age Management Medical Group, and International Peptide Society. He's the creator of the proprietary G1 program for high-performance health. Welcome to the show. For someone who is hearing about you for the first time, can you please give us your background story?
0: Oh, sure. Absolutely. So I have a background in traditional medicine. I was a a very busy urologist in a group practice for, gosh, almost 20 years uh, after six years of training as well. Did a lot of robotic surgery, prostate cancer, kidney stones, vasectomy, you name it, urology wise, I did it. Um, About... Halfway through that career, I, I really hit a wall where I became disenfranchised, disillusioned, really just frustrated, fed up with everything about traditional healthcare care medicine. Um, I almost stepped away from medicine completely. Certainly nothing like cybersecurity, but certainly something just uh, completely unrelated what was where I was heading because I, I just got so frustrated with it all. I had my health issues of my own to deal with as well at that time. And it had just changed. It was very different than how, you know the very idealistic perspective I had when I, when I first started practicing medicine. So along the way there, I found uh, epigenetics. And that's really what started it for me, where epigenetics is simply the science of how your lifestyle and environment affects your genetic expression. And that got me fascinated with this whole world of um, areas of medicine that I'd never learned before of uh, our uh, lifestyle and genetics and precision medicine. And that got me into peptide therapy and that got me into functional medicine and that got me into longevity. And then I'm learning about hormones and, and you'd be surprised to know that after six years of urology training, you come away from that not having any clue how to really prescribe hormones. And so I went through courses and certifications and all kinds of extra education to learn all this exciting, cutting edge new stuff. And I fell in love with medicine again, Ashley. I I fell in love. I found my passion. And um, that's what led me to about eight years later, finally launched the Gavin Institute. And I used to go to my job. I called it a job every day and went through the motions and had 50 patients on my schedule every day. And I had about six minutes with each guy and, and it was miserable now I love what I do. I love my team. I love the transformation we're providing. I love the impact we're having in a very different way. And it's about transforming. You know, this gets into a bigger conversation, but it's not just about price of medicine. It's about how do you live your life to, you know, with intention to follow your passion and your dreams and how can it all come together?
1: Wow. I really appreciate you sharing that story. There's so much to unpack there. And It takes a lot of courage to walk away from what I imagine was a good pain, secure job. Oh, yeah. You've opened up your own clinic and you used to spend six minutes with the typical patient. Now, how long do you spend with the first patient?
0: At least an hour, sometimes 90 minutes, but at least an hour. And we see them as often as they need. And I now don't feel pressured to be walking out the door. You know, I, I used to I used to listen to them, my patients talk about their life. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I got to get to the medicine so I can prescribe stuff and get out of here. Now their conversation about their life, that's the most important part of the conversation is, is what what is, what is your why? And that's what it's all about is what is your why and how do we do what we got to do to help you enjoy your why and pursue that to the best of your ability.
1: I love that that's something that you bring up because so many people today are looking for that pill for their ill. But can you tell me why low testosterone has become a health crisis? Absolutely.
0: So it, it's crazy. First of all, let's set the foundation. We have three large studies. There was a, a study here in the US, a male Massachusetts aging study, 20 plus year longitudinal study. There was a study in Sweden and a study in Finland. All three studies uh, did the same thing. They simply followed men for many years and just followed their, their, their labs, specifically testosterone in other labs as well. But what all three of them showed was that over 20 to 30 years, men's testosterone levels declined precipitously to the point of free testosterone is now about 45% what it was 30 years ago. So that what that means is a 50-year-old guy today has a free testosterone that's about half of what a 50-year-old guy had 30 years ago. And so it's a major problem. So I'm glad you asked, you know, the the symptoms that 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 causes, it's not just about sex. It's not just about building muscle. Like a lot of people uh, seem to think it's about cognitive function. It's about mental acuity and focus and memory and concentration. It's about mood and how, you you know, you look at the world and how you react to the world around you. It's bone density, it's muscle mass, it is visceral fat it's tied to cardiovascular health. We know from several trials, over a dozen trials, that men with low testosterone have about a 30% increased risk of having major adverse cardiac events. 30% increased cardiovascular risk in guys with low T. And we can look at a lot of reasons why at at a physiologic level, but suffice it to say, testosterone is critically important, not just for sex and muscle, but really for a guy's life, longevity, cardiovascular health, everything. We know that that LDL drops dramatically when you optimize testosterone. We know that insulin sensitivity, you know, our blood sugar regulation improves with testosterone with optimizing T. So all these reasons are really why low T is such a big crisis for us.
1: Those are some scary stats you threw out. Yes. What do you think are some of the main contributing factors to low testosterone?
0: Yeah, without question, the, in my mind, in my opinion, the number one cause is endocrine disruptors or toxins in our environment. And endocrine disruptors are simply chemicals, toxicants, toxins that affect hormone production, affect hormone function. They may affect the hormone receptor, but by whatever means, they alter normal hormone function. And endocrine disruptors are responsible for low T, They're, they affect thyroid function, they affect Fertility, they cause autoimmune disease, they cause obesity, insulin resistance. They've been tied to cancers, um, personal mood disorders, and and ADHD in children. So it's a massive problem. And uh, studies clearly show that that endocrine disruptors in our environment are directly tied to low testosterone. And certainly stress is a big factor. Poor sleep, poor nutrition, lack you know sedentary lifestyle, all those other lifestyle factors certainly come into play. But in my opinion, toxins in the environment are by far the biggest factor. And it's not just us, I wanna to clarify too. Studies have shown what's called a transgenerational epigenetic effect. It's a lot of big fancy words. That basically means that our grandparents were exposed to toxins, that affected our, their genetics, that when the germ cell line gets passed on to their children, those epigenetic marks are still there. That gets passed on to their children and we will pass it on to our children as well. And so it, it's a pervasive effect that continues to snowball and worsen through generations.
1: And from my understanding, a lot of these transgenerational effects are not being studied until after the damage has been done. And we've been letting these chemicals and phthalates in our system.
0: Yeah, you're exactly right. It's such a subtle thing that you may not see it for you know decades or generations later. And the U.S. is really far behind the rest of the world in terms of regulation. And uh, you know, I'm all for minimal government, but there's a time and place where we need to really be aware of how these are affecting us. And not let the crops get sprayed with these chemicals like atrazine and glyphosate, which we know kill us. And so, uh, yes, it's a subtle, long-term, slow process that's getting worse.
1: You brought up one of my favorite topics, which is the glyphosate. I've heard you talk about atrazine. Yeah. I am going to put the show notes in to discuss your book, but you mentioned this liquid poison that people should be avoiding because after one glass, it can diminish their testosterone levels by 50%. So can you give us some insight on what I'm referring to? Liquid
0: poison, I love that. Yeah, so we're talking about the simple white liquid poison called milk. And there was an amazing study that looked at uh, teenage boys and they had them drink a glass of milk and they simply checked their testosterone level before and after. And they found a dramatic decrease in their testosterone level one hour after drinking a glass of milk. Like that's how fast this can affect our body and our hormone levels. And so you think about that cow. That cow has been injected with steroids. That cow is eating herbicide and pesticide laden food. of other chemicals, I'm sure as well. That milk has been stored in plastic-lined containers. The plastic is leaching into the milk as well. And so I like to use the phrase, it's an endocrine disruptor soup that we're bathing in. It's everywhere. And once you're aware of it, you can't unsee it, and it makes you suddenly look at everything in a whole different light.
1: Two things I want to touch on there because you mentioned the containers. So I always tell my listeners, if they get a coffee to take the lid off, right? That's where a lot of the endocrine Endocrine disruptors live is in the lid. The second one is having a milk alternative or a milk substitute. Mm-hmm. So, you I've heard you say almond milk is a great alternative to regular milk. Why not soy milk?
0: Oh, that's a, that's a good question, Ashley. You're hitting me right below the waist. Um, well, let, let me just emphasize that um, you know any container that's lined with plastic, that container is leaching into the into the the, the food or liquid. And so organic grass-fed milk is certainly going to be better than regular non-organic or non-grass-fed milk for sure, but those still have the problem with the container, but at least you're trying to minimize as much as you can. Almond milk as well in the fact that you are simply um, minimizing the amount of herbicide pesticide hormone that this milk has been exposed to. So those are reasons why those might be better alternatives than regular milk. Soy is a very touchy subject and members of my family are vegetarians and we, we battle on this topic. Um, There are two different types of soy. I want to be clear. If you go to Far East Asia, soy over there is very different than the adulterated, unfermented soy that we have here. So the fermented, you know, true, clean, natural, organic soy is probably okay in many ways. The problem is that most of the soy that we get here is, uh, you know, the GMO, there's the the process part of it. And I, I would refer you to a great book by Jay Anthony called Estrogeneration. It's a wonderful book where he really goes in depth on the con on the topic and the concept of soy and how soy in and of itself may be okay, but the food industry does not use good quality, raw, unadulterated, Far East Asia sourced soy. I think that's the real problem. And It's tough to look at a lot of the studies out there because a lot of the studies are paid for by the food industry as well. And so there's bias everywhere you look. Uh, I personally am against, so wait for that reason. If you can get it raw, unadulterated, fermented from R.E. absolutely. I love it. Go for it. But most of it I don't think is.
1: I appreciate you explaining that. I wanted to get back to the endocrine disruptors, specifically what's in our water and why you say men are drinking birth control.
0: I joke that, that men are on birth control and when I have a live audience, i will like, men, raise your hand if you're on birth control, you know, as a playful joke. But the problem is, is that synthetic estradiol, which is in women's uh, oral contraceptives, does not get filtered adequately by our municipal treatment plants. And so there have been studies that show have shown that there are very high levels of this very hardy molecule in our drinking water, in our tap water. And the best way to describe... This hormone is—it's like a, a sticky glue that attaches to your light switch, your androgen receptor, and turns it on, and it never turns off again. And so, uh, typically, testosterone or even estrogen will bind to an androgen receptor; it'll have its cellular effect, and then it unbinds and it goes away and it gets metabolized. When you have synthetic compounds like this, they will bind to the receptor and never let go. And so it's overstimulating that receptor and has a lot of negative consequences. And that's uh, one of the ways that endocrine disruptors can cause problems. And so the real problem is that we're drinking this synthetic estradiol and our bodies have no way to adequately clear it from our system. And so that's why it's become such a problem. There was a study that, that Jay Anthony talks about in his book about, they looked at whales up in the Arctic Circle and the amounts of hormones, synthetic hormones that they had in their fat was incredible. And so it's a scary problem. And I don't mean to paint such a gloomy picture, but we just need to be aware of it and do everything we can to minimize it. And that's just simply filter your water, get a good filter and, and be sure to drink clean. You know, I have right here with me, I know we're on audio, not video, but I have a stainless steel water container that I follow that I, follows me everywhere I go.
1: That's something that I'm preaching as well, to not drink out of plastic water bottles, right. to not get your food in those plastic to-go containers or to buy plastic baby toys
0: as Yeah, well. that's right. Funny you say that there was a, a pallet or a case of plastic water bottles in our break room here at the Gabby Institute last week. And I went on, I went to my staff, I'm like, who the hell brought this in? my, don't you know? I'm good. And they're like, the, the drug rep brought it in with her lunch last week. And, and... <laughs> OK, fine, get rid of it. <laughs>
1: While doing research for this episode, I learned men experience a 1% annual decline in free testosterone after the age of 40. Yeah. So let's say, for example, a middle-aged man who's overweight, tired, doesn't wake up with the same kickstand he's used to. Eats reasonably healthy, but he feels like crap. He's been seeing the doctor who's told him his labs are fine, but he still has these symptoms. So I want to learn what your approach would be and why his labs are fine is such a crucial component to men's health
0: so i i hate the word normal and so often guys will come in with that exact story you just described where my primary doctor told me my labs are air quotes here quote normal or air quotes fine and the problem with that is we are taught as we go through our medical education and i don't think this is intentional or corrupt but we're taught to look at that reference range on the right side of the lab slip, the lab report. And if the lab number result is in that range, then you're within the normal range and you're fine. And so we're taught to, oh, you're normal, you're fine. The problem is we need to understand that that reference range is not necessarily where you want to be or where you need to be. It's simply the average. So when LabCorp Quest does a billion testosterone labs, what is the average of all those tests? And they get the median, a statistical median. And then you take two standard deviations on either side, think of a bell curve like most things in life, you know, there's an average. And that's the range. That's all it is. It's simply they they look at all the lab tests they do. They're not doctors or chemists are able to tell us, you know, where a number should be. They're just telling you what the reference is, what the average is. So remember, we started this the conversation talking about those three big studies that showed that 3T is about half what it used to be so now you can think of that reference range and the average and think of what that average was 30 years ago it was about 50 percent higher than it is now and so a lot of guys will have free testosterone values that are in this crummy reference range which is half of where the range should be anyway and so in fact their levels are quite low for where they need to be but um false sense of security or complacency that they're quote fine when they're really not
1: what kind of levels are you looking for?
0: Yeah, great question. So total testosterone doesn't really matter a whole lot because a lot of testosterone can get bound to proteins uh, such as SHBG and uh, albumin to a lesser extent. Once it becomes bound to protein in the bloodstream, it's no longer active. It's no longer available to get into the cell, get into the nucleus of the cell and affect DNA transcription. And that's ultimately how hormones do their job is, is through it. Binding to an androgen receptor and causing intracellular change. If they're stuck on these big proteins that are floating around, like SHBG, they can't do their job. And so we only care about free testosterone first of all. So put away total testosterone, doesn't matter. We look at free testosterone. And in general, you want a free testosterone of over 20. Now, some ranges are different. So some of the ranges may be 200, but typically over either 20 or 200, depending on which scale they're using on your lab. Everyone's going to respond differently to different hormone levels. And this is where epigenetics comes into play, meaning again, the science of how your lifestyle and environment may affect genetic expression and and that's passed down for your parents as well. Meaning that one guy can have a free testosterone of 20 and that's perfectly where he needs to be. And he's doing great and it's working uh, well, no complaints, everything's fine. For another guy, he may have serious uh, symptoms at that level, but once you get into 25, he's actually where he needs to be. And so I I always give recommended lab ranges with uh, an asterisk in that you need to look at the individual, look at the, you know, clinically assess, where are they, how are they responding to it and know that everyone's different, everyone's gonna respond differently and um, there's no one magic number. And so for some guys, 18 to 20, may be okay, other guys needs to be closer to 30.
1: Thank you, sure. thank you. Yeah. So uh, when someone comes to see you, you're looking at labs, symptoms. We've talked about the epigenetic testing, evaluating their stress, sleep, fitness, nutrition, and really evaluating the whole person. But what about the detox pathways? Can you walk us through why that's important?
0: We mentioned earlier about the endocrine disruptors in our environment. And based on the uh, Various enzymes in our body, th- you know, things like glutathione, other antioxidant systems in our body. Some people are better able to clear those toxins than others. Other, uh, some people may have uh, more dramatic symptoms, side effects, consequences from toxins than others. For some people, certain medications or drugs or anesthesia or other factors can affect them more as well. Uh, environmental toxins, etc. And so, uh, and genetics can help us really pinpoint that as well. But when we see that, that tells us that for some people, we need to do everything we can to upregulate or turn on or increase the power of their uh, body's antioxidant system to be able to clear those toxins from the body.
1: I think a lot of us assume that our detox pathways work effortlessly since we excrete waste in the form of urine, sweat, and bowel movements, or at least yeah. I hope everyone is taking yeah. a number two every day. But if those detox pathways yeah. aren't working... I know that they can affect our ability to lose fat or focus on the task Mm -hmm. at hand. So maybe where I want to drive this into is metabolic flexibility and learning more about insulin sensitivity.
0: Ooh, that was a nice pivot. So yeah, and this ties into gut health stuff we can talk about as well. What I think uh, is often unrecognized when, uh, and I work with men, so I'll make this specifically about men, but uh, my team sees women too. But when men come in, I have low energy and focus, I can't concentrate, mental acuity is off, can't burn fat, can't build muscle, sex isn't what it used to be, no desire, all that kind of stuff. Sometimes a lot of those problems are originating in the gut. And what I mean by that is um, crummy diet, refined sugars, processed foods, seed oils, all of these stressors to our gut, psychological stress as well, poor sleep, all, you know, we could talk about different sources of stress. What those do is they is they damage the gut and they can ultimately affect the integrity of our gut and that's where you can start to develop issues with um, food sensitivities um, with you know quote cool, leaky gut I know some people don't like that term but along with that insulin sensitivity can suffer as well and they're they're very closely tied together you know when we do microbiome testing we'll look at things like glucuronidase which is a measure of detoxification and estrogen clearance and this. This ties in very closely with this, where when someone is struggling with detox, a lot of times it's issues with their gut health. And this comes back to nutrition. And that's ultimately, as you, as you so eloquently tied together, it's closely tied with insulin resistance as well. We can also look at, to a lot of listeners may be lost now, wondering what the hell is he talking about? How does this relate to me? Let me put it in a layperson terminology. A guy wants to have an erection. Okay, let's talk sex for a minute. For a guy to have an erection, what does that mean? Increased blood flow of the penis. Okay, simply increased blood flow. How do you get that? Nitric oxide is the hormone that's released by your blood vessel that causes vasodilation, increased blood flow. What's the biggest factor that affects nitric oxide production? Insulin sensitivity. And so what we're getting at here is that your diet Your nutrition, the the foods you're eating, your ability to regulate your blood sugar is intimately tied to your gut, which is intimately tied to your sexual performance.
1: I'm so glad you brought that up. I came across multiple studies which show that erectile dysfunction affects more than half of men between the ages of 40 and 70, and is associated with a significant decline in quality of life. So, for the people who maybe are lost, they'll definitely resonate with what you just said. So. How can men clean up their gut? What are some of the top factors you're looking to improve?
0: Starts with what you eat, for sure. Uh, in general, men are eating too many refined carbs, too much sugar. Um, that's the biggest culprit. Not enough fiber to feed the good bugs. Processed, refined foods. Um, psychological stress damages the gut as well. Any, any stress to your system, such as Psychological stress, such as poor sleep, such as overtraining, uh, such as micronutrient imbalance and hormone deficiencies, as well. That stress raises our hormone, our cortisol, you know, stress hormone. And what does cortisol do? Cortisol is trying to mobilize the body to prepare for the stressor, whatever it may be. It doesn't know what the stressor is. To do that, it's mobilizing amino acids. And what that's doing is, is tearing down the glutamine, the protective layer of your gut, basically tearing down your house to use those bricks which is really a bad way to deal with stress, but that's all our body knows. And so that's how crummy diet, stress, poor sleep, et cetera, can directly affect the gut.
1: I feel like you could have also ended that sentence with, it also affects your ability to get an erection. There
0: you probably. go. Directly related. Yeah. I mean, we, we could look at insulin resistance. We could look at chronic inflammation. We could look at you know catabolic state. All of those are intimately tied together and they affect guys' ability to have an erection, to have sex, to have sex drive, to build muscle, to burn fat, to think clearly, to focus, to, you know, all of the things men are looking for, it really comes down to those factors.
1: This sounds like a vicious cycle. If men aren't eating well and they're stressed out because then the stress, like you says, raises cortisol, which can store fat. And then that fat turns into aromatase, which will convert to testosterone and then into estrogen, and it regulates your body's ability to handle glucose. I know a few men who like to take naps during the day. What's the problem with napping?
0: (laughs) Great question. There's nothing wrong with taking a nap, first of all. However, there's everything wrong with taking a nap. Because the bigger question for me is, why the hell are you taking a nap in the middle of the day? If you're taking a nap in the middle of the day, to me, that tells me something is wrong. And that's typically cortisol, testosterone, mitochondrial energy system, something is off. So sure, naps sound great, naps are fine, but the bigger problem is the fact that you want to take a nap tells me something is seriously wrong with you because you shouldn't be taking a nap in the middle of the day, unless you're 90.
1: I I really appreciate (laughs) you explaining that. Can you tell me what causes a beer belly?
0: Oh, yes. So, men store fat in their belly Women store fat mostly in their butt and their thighs Um, but men when we store fat it goes mostly in our belly now we all produce and store visceral fat as well which is the the more dangerous fat that produces inflammatory cytokines and uh, promote cardiovascular disease etc that's more in the inside so like when we do body composition scans here with our clients uh, we can measure the total body fat, and we can measure visceral fats. I want to be clear that the belly fat that you see on the outside there—that's typically not the visceral fat. That's just the the subcutaneous belly fat where guys store it. Why do you store it? It's from, gosh, over you know overeating, malnutrition, too much sugar, um, imbalance in your macronutrient ratios, sedentary lifestyle, uh, cortisol, stress hormone you mentioned earlier makes you store fat low testosterone, low thyroid, low DHEA, uh, insulin resistance, low sensitivity makes you store fat, store sugar as fat as well. Toxins will promote fat storage as well. It goes on and on, Ashley, and it's the same story with every guy. It's the basic, simple things that um, they're micro decisions, I call them in your life, but they add up and they add up and they add up to where suddenly it becomes a big problem and it presents as belly fat
1: which is something that I think a lot of men can resonate with. They want to get rid of that belly fat. They want to look good, have more energy, have more sex. That's
0: right. And they're looking for the magic pill. Yeah.
1: Well, sometimes they use that blue pill. So can you walk us um, through your thoughts on that little blue pill?
0: Sure. So the blue pill or the yellow pill, I call it vitamin C or vitamin D. Um, These uh, medications, Viagra, Cialis, are the most common ones. What they, they're, they're phosphodiesterase inhibitors or PDE inhibitors, Pd 5 inhibitors, specifically Pd 5 is the one that's in the penis. Phosphodiesterase inhibitors, what they do is they help increase nitric oxide production. I mentioned earlier how um, an erection is caused by increased blood flow, and to, to accomplish that, you have vasodilation or increase in caliber of the, the arteries going to the penis. And that's reliant on nitric oxide. And so what those medications do is increase nitric oxide production locally at the penis. Now, those medications will also affect phosphodiesterase enzymes elsewhere in the body, and that's why sometimes guys can get a headache as a side effect. So you can get blue vision if you're using Viagra. Uh, you can get stuffy you nose, know, stuff like that. Those are all side effects of vasodilation elsewhere in the body from those medications.
1: Thank you sure. for explaining that. Yeah. Now, let's say someone is curious about getting on testosterone replacement therapy, but they're in relatively good shape and they want to try a few free options first. Yeah. What would you recommend?
0: Yeah, great question. So natural ways to boost testosterone. Uh, There are a number of them, and then I'll come back around to, are they worthwhile? So the first and foremost is, is building muscle. The best way to increase testosterone level is going to be to, to build muscle. And we're talking about the big muscles. So your back muscles, your core muscle, your quads, your hamstring, all those boring muscles that guys don't like to do. They just like to do curls and press. Those are not the muscles we're talking about. It's the, it's the central muscles that are really going to give you that big difference. Most guys in general who I see don't do nearly enough strength training. They're doing too much cardio. They're, they're going for a three-mile jog and think that that's their exercise for the week. Um, you got to lift weights. You got to move heavy weights, um, and um, and do strength training consistently. That's the big one. Um, the second one I would put up there would be sleep. Good quality sleep is critical when it comes to testosterone production. Uh, there was a great study out of the University of Colorado like 10 years ago now that looked at college boys and they uh, kept them up overnight one night, and they found that their testosterone levels were 50% lower after just one night of sleep deprivation. Pretty dramatic. So we know that chronic sleep deprivation or chronically, you know, poor quality sleep will dramatically lower testosterone. So simply improving your sleep and making that a huge, a big priority is big. Lowering stress, all, you know, stress mitigation things like, um, you know, creating work-life balance, um, finding time for leisure activities, breathing exercises, uh, meditation, sauna, sex, all these things that can help lower stress are really beneficial for low cortisol. Um, Micronutrients, zinc, magnesium, B vitamins, uh, stuff like that are important. Vitamin D is important. Uh, One study showed that sunlight to the scrotum can actually increase testosterone levels. So sunlight, especially in the morning, is a great thing that you can do as well. Um, You know, good quality diet. Um, You want to be sure you're getting enough fats. Uh, Testosterone is produced from cholesterol. And so you want to be sure you're eating enough cholesterol because that ultimately is, is the precursor to testosterone. Um... You know, low DHEA levels can also limit testosterone production and cortisol crushes DHEA, so it goes back to stress again. Those are uh, some of the things that guys can do to naturally boost their testosterone levels. But I mentioned earlier that a free T target is somewhere around 20 or higher. I'll see guys come in with a free testosterone of four consistently. Guys in free T of four. And they want to avoid testosterone therapy. I can tell you that there are there are other medications we can give to stimulate testosterone production. First of all, things like HCG and clomid, and the, you know there are other ways of boosting testosterone. But if you're looking at just the natural maneuvers that we just talked about, that may get that four up to seven, eight, but it's typically very tough for that guy to get it up to twenty. Now, if it's 14, 15, 16. Hell yeah. Natural stuff all the way. Let's try to get you as close to 20 as we can. And, and, um, you know, can, can often be very successful with that. But most guys I'm seeing with this testosterone epidemic, their free tea is so low that the natural approaches are, are still going to be implemented and discussed and, and practiced. But most guys need more than that.
1: There's so much to unpack there. <laughs> so I'm going to go sure. step by step sure. with you first. I'm just going to share a story that I think it'll really resonate with listeners. When I was a personal trainer, I had a client about mid fifties. He hadn't done a squat since college
0: mm.
1: and he was only doing well, which I joke, right? The curls for the girl, well, those sexy muscles well, that people can see. Yeah. So I taught him how to do squats. I ended up training him for about six months and he brought me a little thank you card very sweetly. And it said, thank you for training me. I really appreciate our session. I think my wife likes me again. <laughs> and that's great. Knowing what I know now about men's health and testosterone, I feel like maybe now they were um, a little bit happier in the bedroom because he was learning there to you spot. go. So I like hearing you talk there about you the big muscle. Yeah. I also wanted to touch on anything fat free. I feel like people are still afraid of fat. So can you talk about why fat is so important for these hormones?
0: Yeah, sure. So fat gets a bad rap. Um, there are good fats and bad fats, to be clear. Uh, you have saturated and unsaturated. And the saturated fats for some people are, are not a big problem. Genetics help guide us here for sure. But fat, saturated fats are the uh, the dairy, the milk, the cheese, the red meat, the steaks, the hamburgers, etc. And then the unsaturated, you have mono and poly. The monos are great fats. We're talking like olive oil, avocado, um, almonds, macadamia, that sort of stuff. Um, those are monounsaturated. Those are fantastic, healthy fats that are ideal for providing uh, the fats that your body needs. You, you need For testosterone production, you need to be eating fat, but it's got to be the right kind of fat. So monounsaturated is the one kind that's a great fat to be focused on. The other would be of the polyunsaturated, you have omega-3 and omega-6. And omega-3s are the healthy ones, the antioxidants, the, the anti-inflammatory. They're the ones that are very healthy, uh, things like salmon things like fish oil, things like um, tardives, which I hate, but some people like them. Um, I've tried uh, um, macadamia nuts, almonds, avocado, again, has uh, some omega-3s. Those are all the healthy fats. The omega-6s are the ones that we really want to avoid at all costs. And those are the ones, the seed oils, the pro-inflammatory, cottonseed, and I'm sorry here again, actually, soybean, and the partially hydrogenated corn oil and um, all those oils that the restaurants cook with, the peanut oils, the um, any of those um, oils that are used to make packaged products, um, these are pro-inflammatory. They're linked to cardiovascular disease, and uh, you got to do everything you can to avoid those fats. I'll give you a great example of this. Um, I have gone to Target with my wife, and we're stopping to get, uh, among other things. Somehow, you end up getting so much. Target tells you what you need. I is what I've been I've been taught. Target tells you what you need, but um. I'm gonna get almonds and um, one package of almonds. I always look at the ingredients like I recommend and the ingredients says almonds, perfect. The bag next to it says dry roasted almonds. That sounds pretty good. Look at the ingredients. The very first ingredient is cottonseed and peanut oil and then almonds and salt. And so that's a great example of how they can take a perfectly good food and bathe it in poison and you think you're doing the right thing when you're not. So look at the ingredients, avoid those unhealthy fats. But back to, I'm sorry, long-winded answer to your question. Fats are important, but it got to be the right kind of fats.
1: I have the exact same story. I have a whole episode all about polyunsaturated fatty acids. Yes. I could just talk about them for the rest of this show. My listeners (laughs) know to stay away from them and to read labels. I'm glad you brought it up. Hell yeah. You also mentioned low DHEA, which is a precursor to testosterone, So, can you take DHEA in the hopes of raising testosterone?
0: Yeah, good question. I get that a lot. DHEA supplementation generally does not give you any appreciable rise in testosterone if it does increase testosterone it's fairly negligible. So, it's not really a a viable way to boost uh, men's testosterone levels.
1: For someone who doesn't know what DHEA is, can you go into that a little bit? Yeah,
0: sure. So it's dihydroepiandosterone, I think is uh, the last part of it, maybe messing up there. But uh, DHEA is a hormone. It's a steroid hormone. Um, It's made from cholesterol. It goes cholesterol, pregnenolone, DHEA, and then that gets converted to testosterone, which then gets metabolized into estradiol um, and then estrone, and your body gets rid of it. So... um, Along the lines there, it can also uh, cortisol produced from pregnant uh, pregnenolone as well. So that's that's down the other pathway there of the steroid hormone. But DHEA is an important hormone when we're talking about mood and metabolism and energy. And um, it's closely related to thyroid hormone as well as testosterone. And it's uh, an incredibly important hormone in and of itself. Uh, while it is a precursor to testosterone, uh, DHEA levels alone are important. Also, uh, it's been linked to cardiovascular health as well. And so a lot of the men and women we work with uh, have low DHEA levels that um, it also goes along with high cortisol, too. So when folks are dealing with uh, stress and elevated cortisol, you know, at stage two and stage three uh, adrenal dysfunction, you start to have decline in DHEA as well.
1: DHEA is available over the counter in America, but it's not in other countries. Yeah. I usually recommend that people dunk over 15 to 18 milligrams per serving of DHEA if they're going to supplement with it. What are your recommendations?
0: Yeah, so women definitely need much lower dosing than men. And so in, in general, in our practice, women typically get about 10 milligrams a day and they don't often need much more than that. Um, Men typically need much more than that and so that dosing can be anywhere from 25 milligrams a day up to even as much as 100 milligrams a day and it just comes down to testing. Uh, You bring up a great point that there's a lot of over-the-counter crap and DHEA is very vulnerable to that where you can see uh, levels are really poor after a few hours with a lot of over-the-counter DHEA. And so um, it costs a little more, but the micronized compound version of DHA is amazing. It give you really sustained day-long um, levels of DHEA.
1: I wanted to now get into testing. I know there's blood, urine, saliva. What do you prefer for specific hormones?
0: For testosterone, I always recommend blood. I know that there are a lot of folks out there who do saliva, testosterone testing. You know, as part of it, we do a lot of Dutch hormone testing. I know testosterone is reported on that as well. I find for men that the serum testing is the most accurate when it comes, especially when it comes to their symptoms, quality of life, and, um, and results. So for men, I will always look at uh, serum testing for that. For DHEA, you can, you can, DHEA sulfate specifically. I want to emphasize sulfated uh, form of DHEA is the active form. Um, you can look at the uh, urine DHEA, you can look at the uh, salivary DHEA, or you can look at blood. We often look at blood because it's just the easiest, um, but when we do Dutch testing, we can look at it there as well. We do a lot of Dutch testing for looking at uh, mostly estrogen metabolism. Uh, it shows us the um, estrone pathway of, of um, estradiol metabolism and the you know, 2, 4, and 16 hydroxy pathways the listeners how our body gets rid of estrogen and some some pathways are helpful some pathways can be harmful and so we want to make sure that we're helping to excrete estrogen the right way looked at DHT which is um, another form of another androgen hormone in men uh, that can be uh, more androgenic than testosterone and cause things like hair loss and stuff like that I was looking at DHT that's a, a good urinary test for cortisol, I only look at saliva. So this is important that the, on the Dutch urine testing, it does include cortisol, but there's really not a lot of great validation on the urine-based cortisol testing. And so salivary, in my opinion, is the gold standard. So if we're looking dealing with stress and, and want to measure cortisol, it's going to be saliva any day of the week.
1: The Dutch test is one of my favorite tests that I've personally taken yeah. a couple of times. But for listeners who don't know what it is, yeah. can you explain that? Sure.
0: Yeah. So it's a dry urine uh, dry urine comprehensive hormone test. I forgot what the T is in there. But um, it's uh, basically where you uh, pee on a strip at different times throughout the day. And uh, that strip, those strips are then sent to the lab. And then they look at those uh, and they analyze those, the, the hormones in your urine at different times of the day. And it could obviously tell us different things. The saliva testing, we will do uh, four saliva collections throughout the day for when you first wake up, uh, later in the morning, mid-afternoon, and then uh, in the evening. And there are very specific reference ranges of where your cortisol level should be at those different times of day. And that helps us really understand if stress is a problem for you.
1: If someone is already on hormone replacement therapy and they're going to get tested, when should they be taking their hormone replacement therapy and getting tested?
0: Yeah, great. That's a lot of new ones involved there. Great question. We see a lot of men who are on injectable testosterone therapy uh, for testosterone replacement. And the key is to make sure that the the dosing interval is where it needs to be. And and that's a whole separate conversation. But suffice it to say that once they're at a consistent level, any time in the cycle, their T levels should be about the same once they reach steady state. And so injectable is great in that sense that we can uh, test it anytime. If we're looking at thyroid hormone, you typically wanna be sure that it's a couple hours after you've taken the oral dosing. Um, If you don't take it that day, your level will be much lower. Same thing with DHEA, if you didn't take it that day, it could be lower as well. Um, And so a lot of it is understanding um, if you draw the lab, when was the last time they took the dose? Sometimes it may be low because they just didn't take it yet.
1: Hello, my health-conscious and curious listeners. I'm going to drop some stats today which may surprise you. Worldwide fertility has dropped more than 50% over the past 50 years. A man today only has half the number of sperm, his grandfather. In some parts of the world, a 20-something-year-old woman today is less fertile than her grandmother was at 35. This is largely due to phthalates, which Dr. Gappin mentioned earlier in the show, and phthalates decrease testosterone. Phthalates are a class of plasticizing chemicals. Manufacturers add them to create plastics which are soft and flexible. I will say that again, soft and flexible. Flexible is the word to watch out for, like plastic wrap, sippy cups, plastic food storage containers, and single-use plastic bags. Also, think the bag in which your bread comes in, if you're eating bread, or those single-use smoothie and iced coffee plastic cups. This is also a good time to mention you should never heat your foods in plastic. And if you're using K-cups or pods to make your coffee every morning, this is something I recommend you stop doing straight away. In a Harvard study, they showed phthalates are used in hundreds, if not thousands, of different products. And one of the ways we're exposed to phthalates is through diet, by ingesting chemicals from non-organic food and processed foods, which leach into the food from vinyl plastic equipment, food preparation gloves, and food packaging materials. In the last 10 years, Epidemiological studies have shown that prenatal exposure to phthalates affects children's neurodevelopmental and neurobehavioral outcomes. More than a dozen studies have shown that maternal exposure to phthalates during pregnancy can impair child brain development and increase children's risk for learning, attention and behavioral disorder. Because of proprietary laws, companies don't have to disclose what's in the scent of their products. So you won't see phthalates listed on the label. But if you see the word fragrance, there's a 99% chance phthalates are present. Phthalates are released throughout the life of a product. So the sooner you can use your items, which are stored in plastic, the better. Although this public service announcement is about avoiding plastic. So maybe another way of phrasing that sentence is, the longer you store items in plastic, the more harmful they become. So. Where to start? Well, first off, don't buy plastic water bottles or food stored in plastic with the intention of storing it. Use those products within three months. If you buy personal care items in bulk, you may want to rethink that option. Did anyone say laundry detergent, body wash, or shampoo? Okay, now I'm going to give you a list of common products to avoid as they all contain phthalates but don't worry. I'm going to give you some alternatives close to the end of this announcement so you can make some changes. Avoid buying vinyl shower curtains and curtain liners. Avoid plastic baby toys like rubber duckies. Avoid baby oil, baby shampoo, and baby powder. My one caveat here is that of course you can use these products if they're packaged in glass or cardboard, and as long as they don't contain fragrance or harsh chemicals. Okay. Avoid inflatable toys. Avoid plastic diapers. Avoid waterproof mattress covers. I know this is a big list to avoid, but next week I'm featuring someone on the show who's going to talk all about baby and kid care options so you can have some different alternatives. This next list includes items to avoid which have fragrances, aka phthalates, as well as soft plastics. Avoid using scented trash bags, scented air fresheners. Stop using air fresheners for your car, home, or office. This goes for any air freshener that you spray, plug into the wall, or any of those gels or pods which are standalone air fresheners. Avoid using perfume, cologne, and body spray. Avoid deodorant. An important message I wanted to share is that I recently saw an ad for single-use menstrual cups during your period. If you are inserting these soft, flexible cups directly inside you, you're getting a dose of phthalates. I would highly recommend against using these. Avoid using commercial lubricants. If you're going to burn candles, please only burn beeswax candles. I'm also going to have a guest on the show to walk you through the horrors of scented candles. Oof, okay, I know this is getting long. Let's stop using those leave-in toilet bowl fresheners. Those are the worst. They also make scented toilet paper roll holders. Anything that has synthetic fragrances is an endocrine disruptor and it's going to lower your testosterone. This also goes for all household cleaners, such as window cleaners, all-purpose spray, disinfectant foaming cleaners, and can't forget dishwasher detergent or laundry detergent. This is why I never use laundry detergent in a jug. I use a powder. That's for another episode. And also, if you're thinking about the clothes you're wearing and you're washing them in commercial detergent and fabric softener, one thing to keep in mind is that you would be literally making a soup of endocrine disruptors So even though your laundry may smell fresh and you're spritzing on that nice perfume, you're literally crushing your fertility and your sex hormones. I would watch out for aromatherapy. If the oils you're using in your diffuser are not organic and you're using tap water, then you are 100% inhaling pesticides, trace amounts of lead and fluoride, and we definitely want to avoid that. I would also encourage you not to touch receipts as they're printed on thermal paper, which is coated with BPA and or BPS. And I'm sure you've heard me mention it before, but look for that small triangle located on the packaging of anything plastic that you buy. I would only use an item if it contained a one, two, four, or five, as there's a good chance you'll survive. If you're getting a little overwhelmed and wondering where to start because you want to wash your hair and wear deodorant, one of the companies that I recommend is called Living Libations, as well as Alitura, spelled A-L-I-T-U-R-A. Now I know a lot of you are driving and doing other activities when listening to this episode. So if you're looking for safer products to use which don't contain phthalates, which are stored in glass, head on over to my website, ashleydealey.com. There you're going to be able to find many options for these safe substitutions. Okay, I know this was a long-winded break, but I really wanted to drive home what phthalates and endocrine disruptors are, because if low fertility levels or low sex hormone levels are negatively impacting you, you've now been empowered to swap out a few options that you otherwise may not have considered. So let's get back to the show and discuss what kind of options men have for testosterone replacement therapy. I wanted to get into the different kinds of testosterone replacement therapy that are available. So there's injectables, topicals, pellets. Walk me through what's available and how to use them.
0: So um, as you mentioned, Different ways of giving it. It comes down to some extent to personal preference. So you can do injections, you can do topical, you can do pellets. Those are the main three options. Um, you could do oral or troches. you could have atrocious, you could put it under your tongue. Most people don't do that because they're so short acting that you have to be doing it multiple times throughout the day. It's just not reasonable. Uh, the oral testosterones can be uh, toxic to the liver. So in general, we don't do oral as well. So it's injectable, topical, or uh, pellets. Injectable is by far what I find most guys choose, and what I recommend typically uh it's uh it's going to give nice sustained levels. I often recommend at least two if not three times a week spread out, and so for example, Monday morning, Thursday night, for example, okay, Sunday night, Thursday morning, for example, you know some sort of you know three and a half days apart like that where guys can do an injection of testosterone and it will last them. Uh, now, the half-life of that is about uh, 10 to 12 days or so, but when you start to do it twice a week like that, you, that's how you're able to reach a nice steady state to where your levels are consistent. Uh, there's a lot of nuance with the dosing. How much do you give if, if it's two versus three times a week? A lot of guys come in and they've been at testosterone clinics down the street where they're getting a shot in their butt every two weeks. And I can't emphasize enough how wrong that is because you end up getting these big peaks and valleys where for the first couple of days it's too high the last week is too low, and you spend very little time in the actual therapeutic window or rate where you need to be. And so I, I always recommend lower dose more often rather than higher dose less often. We also now recommend sub-Q injection of testosterone rather than IM. So that means just under the skin, tiny little insulin needle, can't even feel it, versus a big old intramuscular injection that, uh, that we used to think was needed. Now we recognize that you can get the same levels uh, through either approach.
1: So does that mean if someone's doing the testosterone injections, they could use it in their muscle or should they go for that fattier piece of skin near their stomach or butt?
0: So I always prefer sub-Q injection and that would be anywhere in the belly or you could do sub-Q in the anterior thigh or sub-Q in the lateral arm. For most guys, it's the belly and you're using a a tiny 27-gauge insulin needle and you barely feel it. You barely even feel it at all and I think it's a much friendlier option than the intramuscular injection because uh, most guys just find that much more pain.
1: You brought up the clinics that are just happy to give you the testosterone and send you on your way. And correct me if I'm wrong, but if you get pellets, you cannot get them taken out, correct?
0: Oh, correct. Yeah. So pellets will be another form of, of therapy. And those are are uh, put in either either your lower back or in your buttock. And they're put in by I'm making a small puncture site and we put a little trocar, a long metal, metal sheath that uh, the pellets slide through and they get deployed into that spot uh, deep under the skin. Once they're put in, it's pretty much impossible. It's impractical to get those out. You wait and those will gradually release testosterone over about a four month time period. The benefit of pellets is that it's very convenient. You do it once and you're good for four months. You'll do able to think about it for four months. The downside, however, is that the dosing, the levels that you get are very variable. There's not a consistent response uh, to the dosing that you give. So for example, year, gosh, 10, 15 years ago when I used to do a lot of pellets, I would give guys 15 pellets. And his testosterone will go from uh, a free of, let's say seven to a free of 21. And another time I would give that same guy when he comes back four months later, 15 pills. And it's just also go from three to 30. Massive difference in the clinical response, obviously. And so all you can do then is wait for those pills to gradually go away. Or you can underdose. It could not, you know, the the dosing can be too low. And now you're having to supplement that with additional treatment. So I, I um, I don't want to say it's not an option at all. I would just put it, below injections and topical. I would, I would typically recommend it as the last resort. For, for example, one option, uh, one example where maybe a good option would be a guy who's in the military and has to go received for months at a time. Like that may be a reasonable situation to look at doing it where, you know, travel such that um, is the best choice for him, but that's not very common.
1: Can you walk me through the delivery mechanism if you're taking testosterone in the topical form?
0: Oh, sure. So when you're doing testosterone topically, it's important that, number one, you do it every single day. So the half-life is so short when you do topical that if you put on today, by tomorrow, that's gone. And so the key is you put on every morning after you showered. If you you shower or go swimming within a couple hours after applying it, you're going to wash it off. So do it after your shower and then know that the next day you got to reapply it again or else it's gone. The other caveat here is that the absorption through the scrotum is infinitely higher than anywhere else in the body. And so I always recommend when you're doing topical testosterone to apply to the scrotum rather than anywhere else. And then finally, be aware that, guys, when you do that, the the testosterone that's on your hand, it can be transmitted to others. And so especially children, you don't want to be touching them if you have testosterone still in your hand. So be sure you wash your hands afterwards.
1: Thank you for bringing that up. I think that's really important for the creams, the oils, is that it can be transferred. And I would also probably add that if you're putting that oil or cream on your thighs and then sitting on a toilet seat and sharing that toilet seat, you're going to want to wipe that off or just not rub it on your button legs at all. (laughs) Okay, thank you. I've been waiting all day to ask you this question. If you start taking testosterone therapy, do you need to take it? Forever? I love
0: this question. So and I have to say, I hate to say, um, I hate to speak in absolutes, but nearly every guy I talk to on this asks me the same question. So it's a fun question. Um, when guys take testosterone, why are they taking it? They take it because the level is low, right? The level is low. They have symptoms of it. They have brain fog. They have belly fat. They have poor sex drive. They are low energy. Your aging, all these crummy signs and symptoms that go along with both testosterone. And so I'm getting to your answer, I promise. So when we give you testosterone, sir, we're going to help all of those symptoms that we're talking about go away. We're going to alleviate. We're going to help you get past all those problems. So that now you're going to feel like a man again. You're going to have energy and focus and mental clarity. You're going to burn fat and you're going to build muscle. You're going to be having sex and have sex drive and feel like a man again and want to go work out and feel alive and all these great things. And so I would answer that with why the hell would you ever want to stop your testosterone once you get those benefits? And so the answer is you could stop men who start testosterone can stop it anytime they want and will simply go back to the level where they were previously maybe it's slightly lower your your, your system turns it off somewhat but in most cases you'll go right back to where, to, to where you were which i would submit was reason for you to take it in the first place so why on earth would you ever want to stop it and guys like guys like yeah, yeah that makes sense and then once they get them i swear nearly every guy is like there's no way you're stopping my t Not, i don't care what you say you're not stopping my t and, and and so that, that position changes very quickly once guys recognize the benefits that they get from testosterone.
1: I feel like it's the same for women, right? Like sure. it helps us with strong bones, with memory, with strong muscles. Yeah. gives us our sex drive, sure. that lust for life. Why? Like, I feel like that's one of the reasons that people end up, older people end up in adult diapers is because we don't have that kind of muscle anymore. Yeah. And that's what hormones are responsible yeah.
0: for. Yeah. I can't think off the top of my head of any guy who came to me and said, I just want to stop testosterone. I don't like it. it. just That just doesn't happen.
1: Can you walk me through, I know there are no testosterone replacement therapies approved by the FDA for women to get prescribed by a pharmaceutical, but I know we can get it through a compounding pharmacy, of course, with a prescription. And what I want to know is what kind of testosterone replacement therapy can a man be prescribed?
0: Um, yeah. So, so, testosterone sipionate is what I typically recommend. Um, there are other there's propionate, there's an anthate, there's other types. Than, and they're different only in um, the, the buffer that they're mixed in or, or that they're attached to, which really just affects the half life of release and how long it lasts in your system. I typically use testosterone uh, That tends to be the, the, um, the preferred injectable. Now, it is with, I want to clarify, grape seed oil. And so this is a question I've gotten from time to time, which will wait a second, seed oils are bad for you and this and that. It ends up being one of the best buffers there are. Um, you can get it with MCT oil, which is a little um a little less commonly available on the pharmacies, but you can use MCT oil instead. Um, but the caveat here is it's such a small, tiny amount of grapeseed oil that, you know, you eat chicken, and chicken has a lot of arachidonic acid, which is an omega-6 as well. So uh, you know, while yes, seed oils are toxin, toxic to us, poison in, in that regard. A small amount like that, I don't consider um, uh, substantial enough is going to cause any negative consequences. So, to answer your question, I typically, oh, nearly always prescribe testosterone cypionate that's mixed in grapeseed oil, and most guys do just fine with that.
1: Can you walk us through the difference of men who are fertile and still want children, mm-hmm. and those who? no longer are looking to father a child for testosterone replacement therapy.
0: Yeah. Great question. I, I would cluster the, the avatar uh, the the client type into three different buckets. The first is like you're saying, the guy is 20, 25 years old. He has brain fog already. He, he has low sex drive. His new bride is wanting to have sex every day and he's just not interested. And she wants to have kids and he's like, oh, I, I can't perform and, he, and it's just not working like it should. And um, I see many men like that that have infertility as well as low testosterone, which poses a little bit of a different challenge as well. Then there's the, the classic guy that we see a lot of, 45 years old, he's a business owner, he's an executive, he's an entrepreneur, and he's hit a wall where belly fat, fatigue, he's taking naps in the middle of the day like you talked about earlier. He, uh stressed out can't sleep at night eating like craps not training and doesn't know where to where to go and he's like doctor tell me what to do and that guy has a free tea of three then there's the third one which is the 70 year old guy who just remarried and now he wants to have sex again he hadn't had sex with his ex-wife in 40 years and now he's got a new girlfriend and now he's got to get it up again and his tea is in the tank it was like the typical kind of three buckets of guys that we see the the 45-year-old guy and the seven-year-old guy, testosterone therapy makes perfect sense and uh, you're going to get great results with both of those guys. I want to emphasize there's a lot of other things to do besides testosterone, but just for the sake of this question, I want to clarify that. Um, But the first guy, the the nuance there that I think is what you're you're wanting me to, to dive into here is that when you give testosterone therapy, when you give exogenous testosterone replacement, it will turn off your testosterone production but it also turns off sperm production as well. And so for a younger guy who's in his 20s, who is still in his fertile years, you don't want to give testosterone if there's any chance that he wants to conceive children. And especially if they're already having issues with fertility, the worst thing you can do is take testosterone therapy because that makes it worse. And so that's where we look at other ways that I mentioned a little earlier of ways that we can induce testosterone production in the body and also stimulate fertility. And that's where we look at things like HCG and clomid. Thank sure. You.
1: Now did you want to get into those other two guys? Are they okay to go forward with testosterone? For sure. Therapy? Absolutely,
0: yeah. <laughs> but but you gotta fix everything else as well.
1: Okay. Well, because I've heard you explain before, it's not just testosterone. You that's have right. a very symptoms approach when people come see you. That's
0: right. Yeah. Systems approach means that we recognize that um, I, I gosh for years in my urology practice back in the day a guy would come in and and he's like yeah I'm on testosterone I still feel like crap and I and back then I didn't know any better I'm like yeah well let's increase your testosterone here's some Viagra and, and I, I didn't know what to do now we're so clear that there's so many other aspects other inputs to your system that ultimately affect that outcome you know we have 50 hormones we have 50 hormones and all guys care about is testosterone but we have to look at other hormones. You know, we'd mentioned DHEA and thyroid and cortisol and insulin and growth hormone and vitamin D as a hormone and melatonin and nitric oxide as a hormone and, and adiponectin and leptin and all these other hormones that are so important that never get talked about or never checked. And so looking at that, um, blood sugar regulation is incredibly important. We talk about gut health, neurotransmitters, um, all of these different aspects of lifestyle, you know, uh, uh, sleep and stress and fitness and and activity and purpose and and it all comes together to ultimately affect the outcome. And so the key is, is that testosterone is important, sure. And we're dealing with testosterone epidemic, sure, but it's one part of a much bigger comprehensive picture that guys need to be looking at or else they're never going to get the results we're looking for.
1: I love that you embrace this integrative approach, and I'm not sure if our listeners know, but you attended the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine which makes you one of the most progressive doctors on the planet. And I wanted to switch gears here a little bit and dive into one of my favorite subjects, which is peptides. Yeah. So I was hoping you could explain what they So fun.
0: So peptides are simply short proteins for the listener. They are simply chains of amino acids. If you have more than 100 amino acids in length and in sequence, it's a protein. If you have fewer than 100 amino acids, it's a peptide. So it's literally that simple. Um, peptides are naturally occurring in our bodies, things like influenza peptide, growth hormones of peptide, um, a lot of other peptides that, that come from our body, we are now able to synthesize and create in compounding pharmacies for very specific purposes. And so I love peptides for uh, the amazing um, outcomes that we can achieve when it comes to things like reducing inflammation, cleaning up the gut helping with um, boosting immune function, helping musculoskeletal repair and recovery, um, helping with cognitive focus and helping with anxiety and helping with sleep and helping with burning fat and building muscle and blood sugar regulation. And it goes on and on and on. Almost everything you can imagine now has a peptide that can help you achieve that goal. I have so many clients who come in and they have a list of peptides. I just want prices, Can, can you just, I just want to bottle these peptides. It's comical because it, it becomes like almost like a commodity in that sense. And, and I'm not here to sell a commodity. I'm not here to you know, get my office a call and buy some peptides. But I view peptides as the icing on your cake. And if you don't bake your cake, you don't get the frosting. There, there you go. Palette. There you go. I love yeah, that. Yeah, so it's a nice addition. Um, it's not the magic bullet. If you're eating like shit, peptides are going to fix it.
1: You have to do the hard work first. Yes. What is the delivery mechanism of peptides if people don't know what we're talking
0: sure. about? Sure. So some peptides are oral. So for example, BPT 157 is a great peptide that originates from the stomach and it's great for reducing inflammation. And it can be giver and it can be it can be given orally, which is great for reducing inflammation in the gut. I've had so many guys with um Uh, Peptic ulcer symptoms, reflux symptoms, irritable bowel, uh, cramping, that um, just BPC alone, amazing, um, has been uh, helpful for that. You could also give BPC injectable, and now it's going to work more systemically for joint inflammation, systemic inflammation. And you could also give it intranasally as well. Um, But So BPC is is a great example of how some peptides can be given orally. Um, Most peptides are given as sub-Q injections. And uh, that can be given, you know, some cue in the belly. Some peptides, uh, thymus and beta is a great peptide that originates from the thymus gland and is great for musculoskeletal repair. And I love it for helping with injury repair and recovery. I myself, I had tennis elbow, my left elbow from golf actually, but it was a, a tennis elbow in the out, outer part of the elbow. And I injected Q thymus and beta, subcube BPC, and those were amazing at musculoskeletal repair, reducing inflammation um, at that site. So you could actually do Q near the intended point of, of response as well as uh, Q in the belly.
1: That was going to be my next question. Yeah. So thank you yeah. for telling <laughs> that me sure. that. Are there peptides that can help improve hair growth?
0: There are, so um, there's a good one that I liked that's called PTD-DBM you get a capital letter ptd dvm and uh that's one that is a is a dropper is a topical that you use as a dropper and um you typically need to do it with microneedling and so a lot of the guys I work with were weenies and microneedling hurts and so like I don't want to do it but, but it is a pretty good peptide um for hair loss yeah
1: Are there peptides that can increase the human growth hormone Oh my
0: gosh yes So of course so yeah so w- one of the best peptides uh, class of peptides we have out there are the growth hormone secreted gogs, we call them. And that, that simply means just helping our body increase production of growth hormone. And people ask, well, can I just take growth hormone? Well, I want to briefly just go through when our body makes growth hormone, it comes from the pituitary gland. Pituitary gland secretes, secretes growth hormone. But how does that happen? It actually originates from the hypothalamus, which is part, another part of the brain that releases growth hormone releasing hormone, or GHRH. So now it gets a little more complicated. The hypothalamus releases GHRE, growth hormone releasing hormone, which tells the pituitary, hey, release growth hormone. Growth hormone then gets released and it goes to other parts of the body, has its great anabolic effects. It goes to the liver produces IGF-1, insulin-like growth factor, which now has systemic effects as well. Those three different hormones are really important. Growth hormone releasing hormone, growth hormone, and IGF-1. They each have their own beneficial effects. Growth hormone, releasing hormone, the first one I mentioned from the the hypothalamus, it doesn't just tell the pituitary to release growth hormone. It also goes throughout the body and has a lot of the same benefits as growth hormone itself. Really complicated, right? So GHRH is almost as important as GH itself. And so when you take exogenous growth hormone, you turn off GHRH. And that's the key point. You turn off that signal from the hypothalamus, that has a lot of other benefits as well. When you take exogenous growth hormone, you're doing a morning sub-Q injection every day, which is not physiologic. It's not how your body was, was intended to get growth hormone. And, um, and so it has a very anabolic, potentially harmful effect. It can cause ins- issues with insulin sensitivity. And it's not what I would ever recommend, if at all possible act like GHRH, that first hormone I will talk about. They act like the hormone that we want. And they also tell the pituitary, hey, make more growth hormone. And so I love growth hormone peptides for that reason.
1: What are the most common reasons you'll prescribe peptides?
0: One of the most amazing benefits of peptides is improvement in bleed. Within the first week after starting growth hormone peptides, one of the, the, the most common immediate responses is improvement in deep bleed. Falling to sleep quicker, improve deep sleep, and it's such an important part of, of sleep when it comes to repair and recovery. And so um, that's the biggest one: energy, burning fat, um, you know, weight loss, that uh, energy, that kind of stuff as well. Yeah.
1: What is the peptide that helps improve sleep?
0: Great question. There are a number of peptides for that. DSIP is deep sleep inducing peptide. Um, I've had fairly poor results with that one actually. I, I've tried it a number of in a number of clients, and I never seem to really get the result that I'm looking for. The growth hormone peptides are probably some of the best ones out there when it comes to sleep. C-Link and C-Max are um, nasal spray peptides or, or injectable, but the nasal spray version I have found, they're great. those are great for mood and anxiety, depression, stuff like that. And I found that sometimes those are helpful for sleep as well.
1: Do you need to take peptides forever?
0: No. So peptides can be taken intermittently. They can be taken in cycles. A lot of times I'll recommend uh, taking one intermittently, starting and stopping. it. Epitalon is a great peptide that's been shown to extend longevity, just extend lifespan. they shown to decrease the incidence of cancers. It's been shown to have um, amazing improvement in immune function. And uh, Epitalon, or Epitalin, depending on how you want to pronounce it, um, is only taken for 20 days twice a year. And so there are a lot of peptides that you'll take for short cycles and stop. Uh, Tessamorlin is an amazing growth hormone peptide that will um, have a very anabolic effect. Uh, guys can get shredded with it, helps you um, burn fat, build muscle quickly, but it's only taken for 25 days at a time then you stop. Maybe once a quarter, once every three to six months or so. Because it's so strong, it'll raise your IGF-1 levels by about 150 to 180 points, which is, which is a wow. very dramatic rise. It's almost doubling your IGF-1. So very anabolic. It's uh, it's strong, it's powerful. And so, yeah, so you want to cycle some of these peptides. And, and this brings up a point that a lot of people are out there on Reddit and Twitter and they're doing their own thing and they're, you know, taking peptides on their own and using the direct-to-consumer companies. I would really emphasize to the listener that you need to work with someone who knows what they're doing, someone who is prescribing it for you from a compounding pharmacy with quality assurance. And you know that you... Are getting what you think you're getting.
1: I was going to mention it is a bit yeah. of the wild, wild west. I it's know crazy it's out there online. Yeah, and buy them today yeah. on your own if you want. Yeah. You don't really know what you're getting. You do
0: You have no idea what it is, and it's kind of scary to think about people who are injecting this stuff. They have no idea what they're getting.
1: Are there any peptides for stress relief?
0: Great question. So the like of the thing that's will be two that I would like for that. I think I would look at stress more from a different angle more from and it's again where peptides can help you know systems approach can help be the icing on that cake if someone's particularly stressed out is working with lifestyle you know what are you doing to mitigate the effects of that stress you know we talk about breathing exercises meditation you know creating work-life balance fitness you know make sure you get the right nutrition making sure you're sleeping all those other things cleaning up the gut I'll, i'll throw in there All of those things I would think are the foundational elements of that. And I would not look at peptides to be really the magic bullet for helping you fix your stressful life. And that's a common thing. I have this, can I take, what's a peptide for that? Well, it doesn't quite work quite like that.
1: It can seem overwhelming when someone hears this information for the first time. And I'll often encourage my listeners to change just a few things about their habits or lifestyle. If you could pick just three habits for men to change, what would they be?
0: Number one, sleep. Without question, sleep is underappreciated and most of it is entirely controllable by just being intentional about it. And so the most important part of that is making sure that you have a consistent sleep schedule and go to bed the exact same time every night. Um, I have an alarm on my watch, 1030. It's bedtime. I'm done. Doesn't matter where I am, doesn't matter where we are on the Netflix show or whatever I'm working on, it's time to go to bed. Um, bedtime has to be the exact same time every day, make that a commitment. Um, and what time is the right time to go to bed? Well, what time do you need to wake up and count seven and a half hours before that? And that's the time you're crawling into bed. It's that simple. And that's your bedtime. Um, that that would be number one. The first thing, the second thing would be, um, being intentional with your schedule. So many of the high-performing entrepreneurs I work with, they're so busy. I'm busy, busy, busy doing this, doing that meeting, just traveling this, travel, this and, and they leave out the important parts, and you know everyone's heard the analogy of the glass jar with the big rocks and the boulders and the pebbles and the sand, and you know putting the big rock you know everyone's heard all that, but it, it it's so true here to what's your priority? It's fitness, it's quality time, it's what is your why, what's important to you, and what are the things you have to do to get there and so, for example, in my on my calendar three days a week. And right in the middle of the in the middle of the day is my, my workout. And if my team can't book any clients, they can't book any appointments, it's blocked out. And I leave in two hours, I'm at the gym. And I know that that's my, the best time for me to work. Everyone's different for me. That's my time to train. And that's what I mean by being intentional about creating time, carving out that time and sticking to it. And I, I can't emphasize enough how important that is. The third part would be to think of your food as your fuel. So many guys just eat; they eat whatever is around, and especially when they're traveling, you're eating the crap in the airport and the on the on the on the plane and restaurants. Think of it as fuel. And what's in your fuel? Are you getting the protein first? What are the macro macro nutrient ratios you're eating? And be real precise about that some guys are so particular so many aspects of their life and then they eat like crap and so pay attention to those little things that matter and you know these are all micro decisions but they add up and they're you know they're little things but they're big things
1: i couldn't agree more i also wanted to ask since you're a trained urologist you did this for 20 years. You've seen men who have come to see you for an enlarged prostate, frequent urination and disruption in urine flow. I imagine you still see some of that since you're a men's health expert. So what kind of treatment would you give someone who's experiencing those aging symptoms as a male?
0: Yeah. So um honey, you bring that up? I, I try to avoid the plumbing anymore. After 20 years of being a plumber, I, I've stepped away from most of that stuff. I I still do a lot of work with prostate cancer diagnostics and prostate cancer detection. Um, But to answer your question, when guys are having issues with um, uh, urinary symptoms related to the prostate, a lot of times it's related to inflammation and systemic inflammation, chronic inflammation doesn't affect everywhere else and ignore the prostate. It often affects the prostate with it. And so that can, you know, think of the prostate like a donut and the urethra, the urine channel runs right through the middle of that prostate. And as it swells, it can cause obstruction and occlusion of the urine channel. And so things to reduce inflammation are things that are going to potentially help that. Um, You could also use pharmaceuticals, which would be, you know, the last resort, things like Flomax and other medications that help relax the prostate. But a lot of the systemic approaches that we take to reducing inflammation may often help the prostate as well. Gut health is intimately tied to prostatitis type symptoms as well. So you clean up the gut and a lot of times prostate issues resolve too. What's... Sad, and crazy and unfortunate is 20 years in urology, no one ever teaches you anything about the gut that is connected. And I get out of it. and learn all this functional approaches and functional medicine stuff. And I'm going through IFM and Kalish and A4M and, and AMMG. And suddenly I'm like, holy cow, they're directly related. No one ever taught us that. So,
1: Right. That's one of the reasons for my show is because yeah. there's answers out there that people aren't finding through their typical general practitioner. I love
0: it. You're doing such great work.
1: I would be remiss if I didn't ask you to share your personal vasectomy story. (laughs) So you have to tell listeners about
0: it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, so uh, my wife and I had our second child. We had a boy and a girl, so we're good. We're done. And so I knew it was time to get a vasectomy. And, you know, at that point, I had been doing vasectomies for, you know, 20 years. And that was really, honestly, my superpower. Five, 10 minutes, beginning to end, easy peasy. that was my jam, and I had five or four other partners in the practice, uh, none of whom I fully trusted to do my vasectomy because I saw how long they took to do other vasectomies, and I'm like, something's wrong when you're in there for an hour doing a vasectomy; it shouldn't take that long. And so I decided, against my wife's wishes, that I was going to do my own, and. I uh, told my staff out of the office, they all laughed, no way, you can't do that. And well, don't tell me I can't do anything. That's the one thing, you know, if you don't know me, don't tell me I can't do something else. I'm going to, I'm damn well going to do it. And so one Friday afternoon after work, I decided it was time. And so I got the train set up and I, I told my nurse out in the, in the nursing station that I'll yell out, I'll yell out to you if I need you. And uh, just all by myself in that room, I got it done. And 10 minutes later, it was all done and oh, easy peasy. So, um, yeah. What a
1: Friday. What a
0: Friday. Yeah. And, and my wife was calling me in the middle of it and she's like, what are you, what are you doing? So, um, yeah. It was, it was not hard at all. It was actually fairly easy in hindsight. Um, I, I can't imagine anyone else doing it but me.
1: Did you use a scalpel during this? Facility?
0: No. So my scalpels are, or my vasectomy is no scalpel. So it was a small puncture and everything's done through that small little opening. I use a lot of lidocaine, num- numb it up really well. And it was, I'm a weenie when it comes to needles, and it was painless, so it was good.
1: What's the recovery look like?
0: Um, you're sore for a couple of days. You feel like you're kick, you've are been kicked down there. Um, so I used to for a couple of days, take it easy for a few days, and then kind of gradually resume activity from there. Not too bad. Guy, guys will, will make it like it's this huge deal, and we'll they'll, they'll try to avoid it at all costs. It's really not a big deal. It's a quick, easy up and down. It's a lot easier for a guy to do it than for a woman to do it.
1: What's a common misconception about your field that you think most people get wrong?
0: That's funny, funny question. I, I think when a lot of people hear the word men's health, they immediately think of, you know, joking aside, balls. They think of balls and stacks and, um, you know, the funny jokes. And I've heard them all. And, you know, they're all fun, of course. And what's not to like about, a, a you know, those jokes? But it's so much more than that. And it's about, you know, the work that I do, it's about helping men improve the quality of their life. It's about having energy um, so they can focus at work, so that they can be their sharpest at work and um, be successful entrepreneurs and and executives and businessmen But helping them be the best dad they can be for their kids. And, And for me, actually, you know, on a personal level, that's where it's all at. Like for me, it's all about how can I be the best dad for my kids. And and I embody that with my, my guys as well because I, I, I know how important that is. Um, and then how can you be the best husband for your wife? And then how could you, you know create your life so that you can enjoy what you love doing as well? And to do that, it, it's more than just vault. There's a lot more to it than just that.
1: I think you tied that up really nicely. Go. Also, because at the beginning of this session, you talked about how much you love your job. And I'm sure you want that for your patients That's as right. well.
0: That's right. Yeah, I had um, my brother-in-law passed away about eight years ago now. He was forty-nine. I'm sorry. Thank you. It's okay. I appreciate it. Um, I didn't know him very long. He was my um, my wife's sister's husband, and um, remarkable man. He was loved by everyone who knew him. He was this larger-than-life guy. Everywhere he went, he was like the life of the party, and he was so generous with um with his time and money, and he was just amazing guy anyway one of the things he always told me that is is eerie and ironic to look back on he would say tracy you don't get today back you don't get today back so make it count and he would say that all the time and then when he dies at the age of 49 holy shit it just makes you really stop and gives you chills to think about like how powerful that is and so i have really found a new perspective on life from him and with with the work i'm doing now you gotta love what you do And uh, there's a great song by the script. Um, I got to love what you do. And I embody that every day.
1: That's actually one of the reasons that I moved to Australia. I'm in America now. But one morning I was getting ready and the song came on and it said, you got to live like you've never had a broken heart. And you got to dance like, what is it? Like no one's watching. And I was like, you know what? Because I had thought about living in Australia. And I was like, if I don't go, I'll never know what I missed out on. And I would have missed out on my husband. I married an Aussie. Oh my gosh,
0: that's awesome. How cool is that?
1: So important to live your life and to love what you're doing. So I love that you're a voice in this field. You're helping men feel their best. You're also working or you have a nurse practitioner within your clinic to work with the women in your clinic. Can you tell me how that affects the men when you also get to see the women?
0: Yeah, great question. So um, I love men's health. That's my passion. But I found that so many men would come in with their partner, their spouse, their girlfriend, whoever, and they'd be like, well, what about me? And I'd be way back when I was like, ah, don't know." And to have an incredible nurse practitioner who is an expert in women's health is magical because now we have a solution for the women where we can provide the same outcomes that we're providing for the men. And it takes two to tango. You know, if, if the guy is suddenly now rip through and ready to go and the woman is postmenopausal and um, irritable and depressed and dry and cranky and um, in a bad place physically, and mentally, it doesn't work. So that's where the power of, of working with couples together is, is amazing.
1: I've talked about hormone replacement therapy for women on my show multiple times. It's another topic for another day. But Dr. Gappin, what haven't I asked you? that you'd like my listeners to know.
0: Good question. You've so many great questions, Ash. I love it. So I, I think one of the things guys ask is, is what do I do? How do I, like, it's, it's so overwhelming. How do I put all these pieces together? It's a lot for guys to handle. And they will often ask me, where do I start? What do I do? And what I will say is this, start with your why. What is your why? What matters to you? What is it all about? And that makes the micro decisions in your life so much easier to handle. You know, for you to accomplish what you wanna accomplish, it becomes crystal clear once you're clear on what those goals are. So guys will come in and they'll say, yeah, I just wanna lose 20 pounds. Why? Well, yeah, just my like Panther getting tied, you know, why? Why, why do you care? Well, because, you know, and nonsense, superficial BS answers. When in fact, what the real answer may be is I want to be the best dad I can be, or I want to be able to feel like my partner is attracted to me again. And so now, once you've made that clear, I have guys who will, you know, have like four or five or six drinks a night well, when, when they start working with me. And I'm not here to tell you, don't you can't ever drink. I'm not here to tell you abstain. You have to quit alcohol completely. But suddenly, when you start thinking about that why and knowing how what you're doing right now is affecting that outcome, it makes you think about that behavior very, very differently. And it makes the decision so much easier because you're focused on that why. And so I'll challenge any of the listeners, what is your why and what are you doing about it? Because if nothing changes, nothing will change.
1: I love that. You wrapped it up so beautifully. Thank you so much, Dr. Gappin. Where can listeners go to learn more about you? Uh,
0: Thanks so much. So uh, website is gappininstitute.com. And if you're interested in reaching out, there's a contact page and we'll get in touch with you.
1: If people want to download a digital copy of your book, they can text help to 26786.
0: Thank you. Absolutely. Yes. I was going to go there next. uh, Yeah. Free copy of my book, we have a cheat sheet, 10 secrets to high performance health, which we're currently in the process of updating. But if you text a uh, health to 26786, um, you'll get a free copy of the book. You'll get a free copy of the uh, secrets. And then if you want to get in touch with us, they will give you the opportunity as well.
1: Great. And all your information will be hyperlinked in the show notes. Cool. So all the peptides you mentioned, the book that you mentioned, it'll all be listed below. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Ashley. This podcast is presented for educational and exploratory purposes only. Published content is not intended to be used for diagnosing or treating any illnesses, disease, or disorders. Those responsible for this show disclaim any responsibility for any possible adverse effects from the use of this information presented by myself or my guests. Please consult with your healthcare provider before using any products or services referenced in this podcast. This podcast may contain paid endorsements for products or services. Any third-party materials or content of any third-party site reference on this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of standards or the policy of my guests. This podcast and my website, AshleyDealy.com, represent the opinions of myself. The content discussed on the show should not and does not replace medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. Episodes on Welcome to Wellness may at times cover sensitive topics, including, but not limited to, depression, suicide, COVID-19, vaccines, events related to the pandemic, 5G, big pharma, nootropics, circumcision, psychedelics, hormones, the Women's Health Initiative, birth control, the use of plant medicine, abortion, geoengineering, terrorism, gender, AI, and sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You are advised to refrain from listening to this podcast if you are likely to be offended or adverse. Impacted by any of these topics. However, if these topics are of interest to you, you just may have found your tribe. The information or opinions expressed on the Welcome to Wellness show are solely the views of the individuals involved by no means represent absolute facts. Opinions expressed by the host and the guests can change at any time. The views of my guests are solely their views and the Welcome to Wellness show does not accept responsibility for them. And any action you take on the information contained within the show is strictly at your own risk. The Welcome to Wellness host, Ashley Dealey, will not be liable for any losses or damages in connection with the use of this podcast. You should take all necessary steps to ascertain the information you receive from this podcast is correct and has been verified. None of the guests or contributors on the Welcome to Wellness podcast will be responsible for your use of the information contained therein. Under no circumstances will the Welcome to Wellness show or my affiliates, partners, suppliers, licenses, or guests appearing on this show be liable for any direct or indirect or consequential damage arising from your use of or inability to access this podcast. All intellectual property rights belong to Ashley Dealey, included but not limited to the copyright and any other rights in the design. You are permitted to use the Welcome to Wellness podcast for personal use, but not for commercial use without license. You may not make any recordings of or otherwise copy this podcast. If If you breach these terms, you lose the right to access the Welcome to Wellness podcast and you must destroy or return any copies of the recordings you have made. Guests on the Welcome to Wellness podcast may at times provide information on or read extracts from third parties copyrighted work. The Welcome to Wellness podcast does not provide any medical or professional advice within these episodes. Anything said should not be taken as replacement for medical, clinical, professional advice, diagnosis, or medical intervention. If you take any action or inaction as a result from the content you consume from the Welcome to Wellness podcast, this is based solely on your decision and the Welcome to Wellness podcast and Ashley Dealey, and my guests cannot be held liable for any of the consequences of such action or inaction. Thank you.